Tito's and Shiner Gonna be an all-nighter And I just might find her At the Whataburger line Dance halls and women But man, I'm wishing That I was fishing by the river tonight In Texas Howdy, 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 everyone Welcome back to another (laughs) episode of Tex-ish The show about some things Texas And some things not I know I say it every time, but I mean it every time We have got a super fun, really awesome episode in line for you absolutely educational educational fantastic interview with jason stanford jason was so nice so nice so genuine kind respectful stupid intelligent stupid intelligent still think he's in the cia low-key low-key like he might actually be (laughs) a spy but yes this is another episode that we could title the boys get another guest they should have they have no business talking to on the episode jason stanford One of the three authors of the New York Times best-selling book, Forget, Forget the, the Alamo. Alamo. And we have a really insightful mm-hmm. and very just authentic conversation surrounding not just his work on the book, but the narrative around the Alamo. He was so kind not just to give us an hour of his time. He literally was heading to another press opportunity for the book so the fact that he came to us before that it meant so much meant a lot and he was very kind to both receive our praise for the book but also answer some questions we had just as far as he answered them so gracefully and so well so well so if if you're a political person and we are saying this as two people who aren't very political and you feel like there's divisiveness wherever you look it's not here. It's not here. Because you, you're you going to be able to it. tell throughout the interview, there's things that mm-hmm. me and Jason would probably disagree on. You and Jason would probably disagree on. Many things we would agree on, too. But we were able to have a very constructive dialogue. <laughs> dialogue about it. And it was great. So we got that coming up. It's just three people who love Texas talking about Texas. Truly. Truly. Honestly. Truly. And we can't wait to just get a meal and have a beer with Jason off mic. He was great. Before we get to that, before we get to the interview, as always, we got some not sponsors. Gunner, who are we not sponsored by? We are not sponsored. We are given no money to do this podcast by Austin Tech Bros. Austin Tech Bros. Do you just love athleisure clothes and flip-flops and just want to walk around with your MacBook 15? Austin Tech Bros. How many Patagonia vests do you have? Probably five. Probably six. I don't zip them all the way up, but it's three-fourths of the way up. Austin, Austin Tech, Tech Bros. Bros. I might be in crypto. I might be broke as heck and I'm just good at acting. Austin Tech Bros. I don't really do anything, but I make it look like I do a lot. Austin, Austin Tech, Tech Bros. Bros. I'm just waiting for Tesla. <laughs> Austin Tech Bros. I invested in Netflix and just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. Thanks. I, it came I to me. Appreciate as, that. Yeah, that, that was good. <laughs> Who are we also not given any money by? Not sponsored by. We are also not sponsored by. Insofar as we give more money to this place than anywhere else, we are not sponsored by Mezcal. 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 Tequila's smoky, sultry cousin. 
Mezcal, do you just really like bourbon but want it more smoky? Mezcal. Mezcal, do you love clear liquor? Does brown liquor give you a headache? Mezcal. Mezcal, do you like worms? Mezcal, do you live in Austin and love cultural appropriation? Mezcal. Mezcal, do you know you're a basic bitch but you want to spice up your old fashioned anyway? Mezcal. Mezcal, do you want to be sophisticated but also hipster? Mezcal. Mezcal, do you want to be fancy but also drunk? Mezcal. Okay, but for real, mezcal. For real, mezcal. Guys. We do love mezcal. <laughs> All the things we just said about mezcal, That's we us. are We're we are those people. people. We love it. <laughs> All right. Would you like to hear about a really great day in Texas history? You know what? I would. Relevant to the bar from which we just walked from. Oh, yes, we did just walk from. Just the bar. want to clarify, we had a drink. Yeah. Before we came, it's not like we were at the bar and came back to do right. a podcast. One drink, One drink. Came back. All right. So this day in Texas history is still important based on the honky tonk culture throughout Texas, based mm-hmm. on the brewery culture in Houston, Dallas, Austin, based on all the movies we watch where we see cowboys drinking Lone Star legally in bars. August 17th, 1933, was the day that first-generation Texan Joel Hoffman got the first Texas liquor license post-prohibition. Nice. And walked from Town Hall to his what was once an underground tavern to his now above-ground tavern, (laughs) Riley's Tavern. Do you think that they just moved the sign from the basement to the Probably. They, well, I think they just put a sign out. They right. just were like, well, it's licensed. So, yeah, it was that day, August 17th, 1933, was the first day in Texas history that we had a legal post-prohibition bar opened Wow! in Hunter, Texas, between okay. San Marcos and New Braunfels, still open. To this day. Maybe a Texas goes future It's going to be a Texas. Get this. His great, great, great grandson. Wow. Is the bartender. That's a lot of greats. That's a lot. I think I got the greats right. Fourth generation. Fourth generation. That would be three. Great, great, great grandson. Okay. Is the bartender, the bar. runs the bar. Wow. At Riley's Tavern in Hunter, Texas. Okay. So if you have been. Which is the first legal liquor license. Post prohibition in yes, Texas. Yes, in Texas. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. And Hunter, Texas is a small town, but it's not our small town of the week. What's our small town of the week? Our small town of the week is Hoop and Holler, Texas. Hoop and Holler. Yes. So there's no comma between Hoop and Holler. Okay. So it's not our small towns are Hoop and Holler. It's Hoop and Holler. Hoop and Holler, Texas. Hoop and Holler, Texas is an unincorporated community in Liberty County, Texas. Okay. Hoop and Holler is located in northeastern Liberty County, 20.2 miles away, southeast of Livingston. So mid-southeast Texas. Yeah, yeah. Hot and humid. Hot and humid. Has a population of roughly 200. Sure. And really the only other information I have on it is this line right here. In Hoop and Holler, dirt roads connect rural homes, including shanties made of garbage bags and lacking electricity and running water. About 200 people live in this East Texas community. Wow. Hoop and Holler is also frequently listed on places with unusual names. 
Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Do you think the actual pronunciation is hoot and holler? It's either hoot and holler or hoot and holler, Texas. You fall off on the Texas. You fall off on the Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That makes sense. Or hoop, hoop and holler. So it's 200 people who mostly live in like tents and whatnot. Basically. So from what it looks like, it is a community of rundown, probably what were once either plantation or farm shacks. Sure. Possibly sharecropping shacks, just the way things shake out there. Yeah. That are connected by mostly dirt roads with one main state highway running like through the middle of where the incorporated community part is. Wow. That's a cool little small town. Yeah, very cool small town. No school, no grocery <laughs> store, no gas station. Right. Barely any houses. Doesn't even sound like they have uh, utilities. It doesn't look like it either. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hoot and holler. Hoot and holler. They're hooting and hollering because they don't got No, they're hooping and they're hollering. They're hooping and hollering. Hooping. Is it hula hooping, do you it, think? Maybe. Just a town of hula hoopers? A town of hula hoopers and hollerers. And hollerers. you got to holler. Holler while you're hooping. Yes, but it's they're, not holler and hoop. No, it's hoop and holler. Hoop you got to hoop holler. first and, and then, then you holler. holler. <laughs> <laughs> Who's our badass? Our badass of the week is somebody I'm very glad to have stumbled across. It ties in to what we were talking about with Jason. Okay. This guy's name is Placido Benavides. He was born in 1810, died in 1837, relatively young. That's also within one year of Texas being founded. Mm-hmm. It is. So he is known as the Paul Revere of Texas. Oh. He became a settler in De Leon's col- colony, which is Victoria, Texas. Okay. Which was one of the first kind of Mexican colonies. Yes. That was founded by the famous De Leon family. He ended up marrying one of the daughters of the De Leons and became what's called a, um, I want to say this right, Alcalde of Victoria, which is kind of like somebody who is both an administrator and a judiciary. Okay. So he could kind of like write and enforce laws in some some ways. Okay. Now, the De Leon family was loyal to the the Federalist government of Mexico at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And during his tenure, Santa Ana came to power. And, and got rid of... And got rid of the, the Federalist, Federalist government. government. So De, uh, so uh, Benavides obviously was opposed mm-hmm. to Santa Ana and became part of the Texas Army. Was now, maybe not pro-Texas independence, I'm, but was... I'm going to get there. Okay. Right? So this, this guy uh, was... Famed in in battle and in war for his acumen and his drive. In many cases, he helped various people in various ways. Uh, famously, helping James Bowie discover a hidden uh, a hidden stash of enemy horses and such. The big thing he did, the reason that we're talking about him today, the reason he is a Texas badass, is this: whenever Texas declared its independence, whenever they decided that, okay, Texas is going to be an independent state completely separate from Mexico. Benavides completely disagreed with that that situation. Mm-hmm. He did not think that Texas should be separate from Mexico. So the general at the time dismissed him from the army. Mm-hmm. But in so doing, he became aware that Santa Ana was marching north towards San Antonio. And in his retreat back to Victoria, he told everybody on the way, including James Bowie the Alamo, that Santa Ana was coming. Jim Bowie, by the way. Jim Bowie, sorry. 
the Santa Ana was coming. Mm-hmm. And thus became the Paul Revere of Texas. Now, he was dismissed in such a way that they exiled him to Louisiana, where he died of unknown causes, just a year after Texas mm-hmm. declared its independence. But he was so dedicated to his cause mm-hmm. and so dedicated to standing up to bullies that he's going to go down in Texas history as the Paul Revere of Texas. And one of the... the t- the catalyst for us being semi-prepared. Being semi-prepared. <laughs> as prepared as... A disaster can be prepared disaster for. Disaster can be prepared for. <laughs> Mr. Senor Benavides, we, we salute, salute you. you. I love that. I'm glad you found that one specifically. That was... Uh, yeah, I, yes. was, I was trying to find something that tied into everything that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And that is, as we discuss later, and as you'll see, a more full telling of Texas history. Yeah, not a revisionist telling... Not even a retelling, but just a, there are elements of this story we... That go untold. That go untold. And not, necessarily, not necessarily we have not been told in a it's been withheld, mm-hmm. but there's just a reality. There are big parts of the Alamo, Texas founding story mm-hmm. that as a seventh grader in Texas, we just were not here. Yeah. told. We weren't told. We weren't educated. On nor, were our fa- nor, nor was our father, so yeah. nor could he tell us. And I would have loved to hear about the Paul Revere of Texas. There is parts about him now remembering in Forget the Alamo. I'm sure there so are. So don't forget when you read it. I'm excited to find that. Um, yeah, that's a great segue into our interview with Jason Stanford. And I, we always mean it when we say it. We are so thankful that unbelievably he took the time to sit with us. As you mentioned, Jason is one of those guys that within two seconds you realize this man is significantly more intelligent than I could ever hope to be, mm-hmm. but did us the favor of coming to our level a little bit and having a conversation really with did, us yeah. was so genuine, so, so kind. kind. And did excellent work with Truly, yeah. the book, with his piece of the book, which we'll get into. with us and answering our questions. And answering them with so much grace, too. Absolutely. Because I can't say enough good things about Jason. There, there were questions I asked that I would not have faulted him for just saying, that's wrong. Or right. you which, shouldn't which is take not, that. And to his credit, that's not the tact that he took. Not and, the, and that's not the person he is. No, exactly. And that's the thing I want to highlight the most is... I think the thing I walk away with the most is Jason is an understanding person. Absolutely. I, I asked him questions with thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. that I had that he did not have toward the Alamo. Mm-hmm. And he expressed empathy, understanding, and kindness. And was just so open with us. Mm-hmm. So listeners, all five of you. <laughs> you need to stop doing this. Because <laughs> if you do. keep saying that, Look, only those five people Gunner, are We have tens of listeners. We have like 50s. That's I always true. say 50s. We, we honestly, we do. We have like 50 solid listeners. Hopefully, uh, our guest will share hey, this. Hey, all and 50 of you who keep <laughs> listening. And all 50 of you, read the book, Forget the Alamo. Yeah, I am excited to read it myself. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you my copy. <laughs> yeah, please give me your copy. If you are in Austin, yeah. go to Book People and purchase the book there. That's where, that's where the authors would yes. want you to go buy it. If you are not in Austin, go to Amazon, next day ship it. Easy read, not mm-hmm. from a it makes you feel good, but again, these very intelligent people have written a book that is easy to consume. And as somebody who, who truly loves taxes and everything it stands for, I am excited to dive into something to get a more full picture 
of the founding of the state. Which gives us opportunity to be more proud of who we are if we continue to move forward together. I agree. And I think that this book lays fertile ground for us to do that. And with that said, Jason Stanford. Welcome back to another interview section of Tex-ish, the show about some things Texas. And some things not. And we are super, super excited. This is such a huge get. Such a huge get. I'm still surprised you said yes, honestly. So uh, (laughs) Mr. Jason Stanford. Stanford, correct? Yes. Um, He is one of the co-authors of the New York Times best-selling book, Forget the Alamo. He is also the director of communications for Austin ISD. Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) Um, Has done some incredible work in local politics and even worked in the Obama administration. Am I getting that right? No, I I never worked in the administration. Okay, gotcha. Um, So I thought I read that somewhere, so I apologize. Um, But has done some incredible work, and he has taken the time out of his Mm -hmm. day to come sit with us and share a bit of his journey and dive into writing of Forget the Alamo. So, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to sit with us Thank today. you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So, like I said, we'll get to the book, but first, how did you end up in Texas, in Austin, and what was your journey into just oh, being a writer? You want the long story? Uh, just how, <laughs> however much time you want to give us. Well, um, I was registered, I was in my grandma at my grandma's ranch before my freshman year of college. Okay. And I was trying to uh, figure out what, a, what classes to sign up for because they send you a little list. And two things happened. I saw Hunt for Red October, <laughs> and her little weekly newspaper said, had an article about how the CIA wanted people who spoke Russian, Arabic, or Mandarin. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, you know, what well, with Hunt for Red October, mm-hmm. and I spoke German at the time, and I thought, well, Russian can't be that much different. Okay. So I thought, well, being a spy, that sounds like a good job. <laughs> so I majored in Russian in college, and uh, I remember the year, it was uh, 1991, it was my junior year, and the Richard Spielman, the professor of East-West politics, brought in the front page of the newspaper, and the Berlin Wall, Berlin Wall had fallen, mm-hmm. and oh, he wow. said, this is now a history class. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the Cold War, you know, ended. It's <laughs> a huge moment. Yeah. And the job market, uh, so I tried to join Naval Intelligence, mm-hmm. and they said, uh, uh, "This, you're great, you're great, mm-hmm. and then they gave me a physical, and they said, have you ever done drugs? I've never mm-hmm. told this story publicly before. <laughs> and I said, well, I've smoked marijuana nine times. Clearly, mm-hmm. it's not a priority. I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. And they said, I'm sorry, the limit's three. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, my so, gosh. And he's told the truth, too. Well, oh, I figure man. if I had to lie, yeah. then probably not the right place for me. Oh, yeah. goodness, man. And so I had to finish my degree in Russian uh, by doing a semester in Moscow. Stayed okay. there for a couple of years as uh, working as a reporter. Mm-hmm. Figured out I didn't like being cold, and I didn't like being a reporter. Okay. Wow. Uh, and uh, which will come into play later. Yeah, I just felt very shy about and intrusive asking people uh, mm-hmm. questions. I thought I'd rather be one of the people doing something. Sure, yeah. Uh, and one of the people I worked for in Moscow was the son of Ann Richards' chief of staff. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, why don't you just move to Austin and uh, get a job for her? And I hadn't, like, first of all, like, I knew Austin as uh, the setting of Slacker. Sure. A movie okay. I'd seen in college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard yeah. Linklater. Yep. Iconic yep. movie. Iconic movie. Yeah, and I remember, like... One guy on our floor, we are, our whole dorm floor went, and the one guy from Austin said, oh, yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> and I had no idea what a big deal it was to work for the Texas governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I went back to Oregon, bought a black Volkswagen with black leather interior and a sunroof, Ooh. and it had no air conditioning. But I figured, well, I got the sunroof. I'll be okay. Sure. <laughs> it was January. Little did you know. I drove out here in January. I thought I'd found paradise. Uh-huh. 
uh, and then got a job for Ann Richards, and all I had were like West Coast, Northwest, clo- you know, mm-hmm. yeah. wool pants. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a wool, sure. flannel yeah. line things. And uh, because Sleeves. I had no air conditioning, Sleeves. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to work really early, mm-hmm. stayed really late to avoid rush hour, mm-hmm. and uh, got the reputation for being a hard worker, uh, right. and that launched my career in politics for about 20 years. Wow. Um, got burned out after a while. Uh and I tried writing for a bit. Um, I wrote a very, very b- bad book about the Rick Perry, uh, about Rick Perry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did about as well as his presidential campaign. Sure. Zing. It was called Adios <laughs> Mofo. Uh, it's a great title. <laughs> That's a great title. You yeah. went for it. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Uh, the New York Times did an article about us getting a book deal, but they refused to publish the title. Really? <laughs> yes. Just because of the mofo part? Or? Yeah, they said that was profane, even though the governor even had it said it. Had, yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Um, I wrote a nationally okay. syndicated column for a while, uh, just did some, it was, but it was all political. It was all that mm. just judgment combat based stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we moved to DC for a year to work for Planned Parenthood as their strategist, came back to work for the mayor of Austin, never really ga- got rid of the writing bug though. Mm-hmm. Wrote a few, a couple pieces for Texas Monthly, um, and then uh, my friend, my best friend Brian uh, and Chris Tomlinson, uh, we we created this writers group, just mm-hmm. a way for writers to get together once a month. He'd done something like this on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and it uh, it was sort of a struggling club. I mean, when you, uh, it was a club of introverts, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> not not a guaranteed winner, yeah. And and we were having <laughs> trouble figuring out how to like get the club to a place where it was critical mass and it was a real community. Mm-hmm. So we were having brunch one day. And we were talking. We had some ideas about how to do stuff, and, and then we let the subject alone, and we started talking about what we're doing with our lives. And Chris was talking. He's the business columnist for the San Antonio paper and the Houston Chronicle, mm-hmm. and he was talking about a column he was written writing uh, that he was sure to get a lot of hate mail for. Mm-hmm. And it was about how it was a dumb idea to fix up the Alamo for mm-hmm. a half a billion dollars mm-hmm. because it's all based on this white supremacist myth. Mm-hmm. And Brian had moved to Texas at a very early age. I moved here when I was 23, and this was kind of news to us. To Brian, he was steeped in the mythology, right? Okay. Sure. He talks about going to college and wearing come-and-take-it socks. Mm-hmm. Like, nice. you know, I, My big association with the Alamo when I moved to Texas was Pee Wee Herman. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There he yeah. goes to the yeah. cap. He does go to the. There's Alamo. that phone booth scene where he's like, "That stars at night." Yeah. And yep. Classroom. Oh, That's yeah. a great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just great jokes in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they're enduring. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I'm not invested in the myth. My sure. family goes back to Texas to the 1860s. Okay. Um, there was a, a cowboy, A.J. Stanford, who uh, went on a, a, a cattle drive to Montana and staked a claim there. And then mm-hmm. I, then I, several generations came back later. So we've, we've been in that Texas for a long yeah. time. There's a Stanford Cemetery in McClellan County. Okay. Um, we used to make fun of the uh, matriarchs. Epitaph. It said, she hath done the best she could. We thought that was hilarious. Mm -hmm. And now, after the pandemic, I think that's pretty much the best you could ever hope for. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we were all talking about this Alamo stuff that Mm -hmm. that Chris was writing about. And Brian's really smart about the business of books, Mm -hmm. right? Not just what he would like to write a book about, but what, and not just what people might buy, but what could construct an entire book, like to carry a narrative arc over a book and and most importantly of all, what an editor might buy, sure, uh, which is an important part of the process. And he said, you know, that would be a really good book. And we're like, yeah, yeah, Brian, that's fine. <laughs> and we start talking about something else. And 
I think I, I suggested a profane version of the eventual title. And he said, no, 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 you should call it Forget the Alamo. <laughs> and he slaps his hand on the table. And we're like, oh, man, because we realized we just screwed up two years of our lives. Yep. <laughs> uh, At least, yeah. Two days later, we had a book deal. It was that wow. solid just idea. Was the pitch alone just like it was the pitch alone? The pitch was ba- almost exactly like the book. Yeah, with a very important difference that we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the pitch was first third of the book is what really happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Second third of the book is how we ended up with this myth, mm-hmm. and the third third of the book is how we're still dealing with it in our politics today. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and the best part is the title. Forget the Alamo. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. He was under. <laughs> contract already with penguin to do a different book okay. so he's like basically saying yeah this thing I, i'm gonna do something else yeah. with these two guys you've never heard of this will be great this is gonna work out and they've written and before penguins like promise <laughs> <laughs> okay Penguin almost like yeah. do you know we've never done something like this before <laughs> yeah and then the big pro the big challenge for our editor we you know the do we had the top editor penguin he said mm-hmm. you got three guys how are you gonna make it sound like one book so that was that mm-hmm. was the hardest part True. anyway that's how the book came together that wow. is wild. Yeah. And I one question I have from him in that part of the story, when Chris brought this idea to y'all and had that preface of, you know, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this, and then y'all three decide collectively we're going to write this book, was there a part of you that was like, I'm going to get some flack for this, being in Texas, being in Austin, or was it more, you know, the mission of sort of writing the real text, almost a textbook on the, revi- not even revisionist, the... Like the reframing. The reframing of the history of the Alamo. Was oh, there any part yeah. of that was like, oh no, this might be bad, or... And I don't think we should back away from the term revisionist. I mean, because yeah. mm-hmm. that's what history is, is you're constantly revising yeah. the sure. record. Um, but I was, honestly, I, I was looking forward to the hate mail. Anytime yeah. you can <laughs> provoke a reaction from, from you know... The, from the people that you disagree with, and you know, at least you're getting the worst thing is to be ignored as a writer. Yeah, sure. So I thought hate mail. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> didn't imagine people would actually like the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought people would hate the book. I didn't th- think people would like the book. So, really? Yeah, I just getting the reaction because a, a negative reaction gets you publicity, and that becomes a thing. And then, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you didn't actually expect to get much praise for it. No, no. Really, and and you have. Well, yeah, but also to some extent, it's. There's this funny stat um, about writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you win any Oscar in any discipline, mm-hmm. or if you're nominated, you're, you will live on average five years longer than, than a director who's never nominated. Okay. Wow. Except for two categories, and they're both screenwriting. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Writers are not known for their uh, healthy self-image. So, like... I can relate. Yeah, well, like, yeah. people like the book? No, they're, they're just being nice. Nah, they're <laughs> people hate the book. People they like the book? It. They're idiots. <laughs> they <laughs> they're they're idiots. They, right. they don't believe it. Yeah, 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 discount yeah. it. But, the, but if people don't like it, then yeah. they're really being sincere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can believe that. Yes. Have, and it's totally cool if you haven't, but have you had anybody either reach out to you or had an interac- interaction with anybody that has maybe had a sentiment of they thought they were going to hate it, but then they read it? And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... So the profile of the person who hates the book is an uh, older boomer, an sure. older white boomer in yeah. Texas. I did not fully appreciate how much the Davy Crockett Disney show imprinted mm. on an entire generation. Absolutely. It's yeah. fundamental yeah. to who, like, just their, it was almost like their first love. Well, yeah. and I even remember watching the Davy Crockett show on, like, um, 
like VHS. the Disney vault and yeah. like hearing the song Davy oh. Davy Crockett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one. It's probably their first yeah. earworm ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's this vision of stoic manhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that that imprinted on these kids, and so you have just millions right. of American men. And it's hard to get if you have an imprint like that. Mm-hmm. That's more of a myth and more of a story. Even when confronted with the truth, sometimes it's hard to square that with your reality. Well, it, it becomes more of a religion at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you really care if Jesus rose from the dead if you're a Christian? It's a Me matter of no. but, but it's not a, uh, it's not, like people aren't Christians because the facts proved up, right? right? You don't, and just because you don't, like, but our argument is you don't have to believe in Santa Claus to celebrate Christmas. Sure. Yeah, you know? it's true. Um, so, to your question, uh, I'm always on the lookout. I'm always a little wary when I speak to groups and there's an aging white boomer, mm, right? Sure. You know, because I figure if someone's going to yell at me, it's going to be it's, that guy. Yeah. And I did this. Uh, this is one of the very few in-person things I've been able to do on the book tour. It's mostly been on Zoom, mm-hmm. which is uh, has its advantages. Sure. Has its disadvantages. Meeting people. <laughs> no, I mean, ha- it ha- has Zoom has its advantages. Yes. Like, we were able to do a, me- a Mexico event. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which is awesome. cool. Yeah. Uh, but we, um, so I was doing this one in Ireland, or, you know, with a group in Ireland. And it was one of those setups where you could see all of the participants' faces, or some of them, up mm-hmm. top. I, didn't, I forget which view that is. And there's this one kind of grumpy-looking dude. Mm-hmm. And he had a little longish hair, like... He had the length of hair that a six, bespeaks a healthy ego of a 65-year-old, right? Sure. Like, yeah. I'm the cool guy, mm. right? And he just had <laughs> kind of a grumpy look. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be bad. And so we got to Q&A, and he said, and I was like, here it comes. He said, your book upset me. I'm like, yeah, I bet it did. He said, because I found out that everything I'd been taught was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and now, but now I can have more honest conversations with my Hispanic friends. Sure. Mm-hmm. That just they, they, and you've read the book, you know, that Hispanic audiences receive this, the Al- the traditional Alamo story very differently than white audiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had learned just not to talk to white Texans about it. Yeah. It's just, it's just their history. Yeah. I remember I was reading in one of the interviews that you guys did, maybe it was New York Times or NPR, and one of you mentioned that it was shocking that you had not heard how much this telling hurt mm-hmm. uh, their wh- whoever was speaking their Latino friends. Yeah, um, it, it just it, it was something that had never occurred. Yeah, uh, like unless you're really steeped in activist culture and hell, I, you know, I grew up in democratic politics in the mm-hmm. state. Just they just don't mention it. Mm-hmm. I mention a lot of other things. Like we'll talk about immigration and sure and race and, and the Texas Rangers. I, I sure. was not unfamiliar with that, but just the fact that the Alamo was this kind of to them, a racist exclusionary myth. Mm-hmm. Totally shocking. Yeah. People I'd known and worked with for decades. Sure. And that's... I, it was kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, you described pitching the book in three parts. I sort of experienced the book in three parts. And, and the part... The third part is really the part that I read that actually had a personal resonance because the retelling of the history, I'm kind of just reading, you know, the, mm-hmm. the more accurate view of the history, right? But mm-hmm. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And then the Davy Crockett piece was more just, oh, whoa, I didn't realize that there is a whole generation that's been sort of molded by yep. this Davy Crockett ethos and the Alamo is so tied to that. But then reading about how we teach the Alamo in Texas schools in seventh grade and remembering. Yeah. And just realizing, and I mean, 
it's not so much guilt, it's just realizing, like, I we were taught this story of, mm-hmm. if you said it blankly, white, good, yeah. Texans, mm-hmm. Mexicans, brown people, bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in a town that is majority Hispanic. Where'd you grow up? I, we grew up in Andrews, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so out near Midland, Odessa area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And realizing, you know, I was between Ramos and Rodriguez and yeah. always and did just, you know, at that age, not realizing just don't I'm receiving the story one way, but the two people next to me and they're withdrawing from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. they're being told you're bad. Yeah. Like right. the, the people who looked like you in were this story guys. were the evil people. And we could have filled up the entire book of the experiences of Hispanic Texans mm-hmm. sure. to, to this story. Like most of them just withdraw and yeah. they go, mm-hmm. okay, that's. Cool. Without that, one, that one's not for me. Yeah, just white people's history. Yeah. Um, something I didn't put in the book, I don't think, but uh, Jose Menendez is a state senator who represents the Alamo. Mm-hmm. When he first got elected, he rented a bus to take some community leaders around the district, show them the whole district. And as you can imagine, these are prominent people in this district and mostly Hispanic. Mm-hmm. It was the first time most of them had ever been to the Alamo. Yeah. It's just, and it's not like living in L.A. and not going to Disneyland. Sure. You know? This is like living in Jerusalem, never seeing the Western Wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because wow. it's it's smack in the middle of the city, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And it's, obviously, you know what it is, so mm-hmm. to purposely avoid it says something. Yeah. 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 Or or it's maybe not even avoid it, but it just has nothing to do with right. you. Yeah, it has. It's And it's been taught to you, it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Like, it almost mm-hmm. has been taught, like, this has everything to do with the people who don't look like you. Right. And, yeah. in fact, in the story, you're, you're the people that right. they were trying to fight anyway. So, yeah. at best, they... Ignore it, and I guess at worst, it's it's very much... Um, yeah, they internalize the... Yeah, it's very antagonistic. Yeah, uh, they internalize that they're the bad guys in their mm-hmm. own state. Right. Which is a tragedy in yeah. so many ways. And it explains why I, when I moved to Texas, mm-hmm. I heard otherwise well-meaning people just say, use the term wetback, but sort of referring to the term, but... Mm-hmm. And, and referring to any Hispanic, they, they would just casually call them Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they meant it as a pejorative as much as a descriptive. Right, like that's where they're from. Yeah. Right. Which is, yeah, or that they are Mexican. Sure. Mm -hmm. And clearly, I mean, statistically, they're right as often as they're wrong in some cases. Uh, But the fact that they would just see any other Hispanic Texan as an other and Mm -hmm. that that generations have been brought up that way to see people that way. One especially something that kind of hit home for me, again, with that specific part is, you know, Texas prides itself on being family-oriented, on being being a welcoming place, but then to look and see, like, wait, we've actually sort of created division within our own story. Within right. our narrative, we've... Yeah, like, you know. we're, we're, like, equal parts celebrating culture, but also, like, keeping everything... Yep. This, right. this is Hispanic culture over here, and then this is, you know, the suburban white culture over here, and they're, they're kind of... Yeah. They're not mixed. Um, and, and Right. And the cowboy culture of Texas gets taught as this heroic white thing, right? It's always mm-hmm. a, a white cowboy, mm-hmm. unless it's, you know, some guy doing rope tricks. And... <laughs> But ranch, uh, you know, the very notion of a cowboy, all of this stuff we got from Mexico. Mm-hmm. We talked about the uh, the formation of the King Ranch recently in one yeah. of our little bits and how every single, the way that that entire operation was run was completely taken from how they ran the ranches in Mexico, mm-hmm. as well as some of the other things that yes. went along with that. But it, it was very much like modern ranching is 100% taken from the vaqueros, like mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I loved the way that y'all, I believe, intentionally were able to sort of 
give me that experience through just drawing this this line, you know, yep. of like, huh, I didn't mean to really just draw the line there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, c- connecting these things, yeah, you know, right. connecting me having this realization to this Alamo story that we've just continued peddling when there's so many other elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it was easier for you to write this book not being from Texas. Like, do you think having sort of a... You didn't have the Texas experience of the Alamo growing up with it, so it made it a little bit easier to look through an objective lens. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I brought my own biases and prejudice to it, but yeah, sure, I yeah. wasn't trying to overcome the internalized yeah. myth. I mean, we can't help but bring our internal biases to everything yeah. we do. Mm-hmm. Did, and so you know, that, that kind of is a segue into a question I did have, and so I'll ask a broad question than a specific one. Um... You know, br- bringing biases and prejudices to it. Did you want? Did you want to try and leave those out, or was it sort of intentional to make it kind of clear? Like, look, this is what I believe either way. So this is how we're going to tell the story. So yeah, we we went where the evidence took us. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian certainly. I mean, he wrote the the what really happened part, and he was yeah. the more tra- most traditional thinker of us all. Okay, and he was the least likely to believe just instinctively the long-standing accusations that the U.S. intervened in the Texas revolt against Mexico. He was, mm. um, so, yeah, of all the culture warriors, he was he was the latest to the war. Sure. Um, so in that way, his bias worked for the book because mm-hmm. he really had to prove it to get in there. And mm-hmm. he had in mind, he had in his mind a reader a lot like him, mm-hmm. which luckily for us is like most of the, we wrote it for the, the the reader we were trying to win over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be easy to write for a super liberal audience. It'd yeah, be easy yeah. to, I mean, less easy for us, but it also <laughs> wouldn't be ingenuous, uh, it wouldn't be authentic for us to write to a Hispanic audience. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we were writing to try to write to the per- people who had been brought up with the myth. Yeah, yeah, me. And you mentioned that Brian wrote the first part. Right. Did it, was everybody responsible for one part? Yes. Okay. Chris, so was, Chris was responsible for the middle part from okay. Okay. Uh, the end of the Alamo siege to John Wayne, and I yeah. took John Wayne to the present. Okay. okay. Wow. That, I, I didn't realize that, so I, I appreciate you. Although I don't want to claim credit for the Phil Collins revelations. That was... That was Who was that? I was, I was that about was, to give that to okay. you. So, okay. Let's go, go there. That. We'll get back to what I was going to do The use later. of Ozzy Osbourne and Phil, Cos- and Phil Collins were really fun. That was, that was Brian's choice. He fought for that, because really that invites everyone into the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was such a, I loved how y'all did that because, you know, in the prelude, y'all make it pretty clear, look, there's going to be some humor to what mm-hmm. we're doing here, which was really fun, by the way. Uh, but when y'all opened with the Phil Collins story, I thought, oh, that's funny, like, yeah. cool. But then you tie it back with yep. the last couple of chapters of the many things I was unaware of going and reading this book, had no idea that Phil Collins is kind of out of his mind in a lot of ways. I think he's just a romantic and he wants yeah. to believe. Um, mm-hmm. But also how impactful that donation was. Like, yeah. But for that donation, we wouldn't be in this mess today. Yeah. Because that contractually bound us to build a museum for mm-hmm. his stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can you go... Dubious Providence. Uh, so tell yeah. the so, listeners a little more about that. So in researching the book, it was very clear that all the Alamo insiders really liked Phil Collins. Like, he was... In, he knew the groundskeepers' first names, mm-hmm. you know, and he never put on airs when he came to the island. So n- no one wanted to say anything bad. Mm-hmm. Also, he gave all this stuff for free to the to the state of Texas and paid for the shipping. And people went on and on about the like the intricate shipping crates and the whole thing. And then every once in a while, someone would let slip a sort of a 
sarcastic smile, like, oh yeah, his collection, you know, and but they wouldn't <laughs> want to badmouth him. And sure. but it was real clear that it was sort of a widely held assumption among the people who knew that there were real there should be questions, but no one really wanted to ask them. Right. And so you know, while I was finishing my part of the book, Chris and Brian started asking questions and it <laughs> It's amazing that that secret kept for so long, mm-hmm. because there. Once you start asking, people were the experts in the collectible industry were more than happy to raise all these questions oh, about yeah. how mm-hmm. there's just uh, they, they had a lot of very serious and substantive doubts about how the provenance of the items that we accept is real. Mm-hmm. And then Chris was able to get in, and the people who advised him just told him everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, like. Uh, one of the standards of proof they used was their gut, just good instinct. Mm-hmm. Another one was a psychic one time. You know, just yeah. a lot yeah. of a lot of what the president would call malarkey. Yeah. Well, well, and to clarify for anyone who hasn't read the book, we're talking about people potentially using their gut to certify to this. Authenticate to authenticate. This is Jim Bowie's Bowie right. knife. Like, yeah. this knife is the knife. And we he, are, um, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I found it really interesting how the experiences of these two musicians tied into ways that you might interpret and internalize the information that you're reading, mm-hmm. i.e. the things that you're learning may mo- may make you want to figuratively or literally piss on the Alamo. Right. As you learn that, you know, uh, like your friend in the Zoom was like, you made me so mad because what I was told was a lie. Mm-hmm. And or Phil Collins where... You just can't believe that all the this bill of goods you've been sold is fake, or and you don't really care so much that you be, you right. love the myth more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the best part about Ozzy peeing on the Alamo is he didn't pee on the Alamo. Right. He peed on the cenotaph, which is this thing that just they plopped it down in the middle of the Alamo, and it's going to make it impossible ever to create a proper historic site because mm-hmm. it's so politicized. Yeah, yeah, and it's also just a weird looking statue. It's a very weird looking in, in the statue. midst of yeah. You know, you think Alamo and the way you grew up, you think Alamo, you think Davy Crockett cowboys, Mexican soldiers, and then there's like a a Greek looking yeah guardian yeah. angel statue for some there. reason yeah an yeah. empty tomb right in the middle of where yeah, everything should be because it's a church I guess yeah. you're like it's very weird yep um and so I maybe something that's not in the book or is what 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 were one or two of the like craziest Phil Collins specific things that you uncovered as you were writing your part of the book one that uh, a psychic was used to authenticate one of the items in mm-hmm. his collection mm-hmm. uh, my favorite though is that the Davy Crockett messenger bag has uh, old tortilla chips in it oh my <laughs> wow yeah and we may never know who and we may never know whose they were yeah. <laughs> were they Davies were they Phil's um what about uh, you know, in your part of the book you sort of tie up the Daughters of the Republic piece yep. as well as far as they were the stewards of the Alamo basically yeah. so in 1905 there was the fight between Adina Zavala and Claire Driscoll mm-hmm. And that got real catty real quick. Super awful. <laughs> uh, and the legislature had to get involved in our, and, and decide who won. And the governor, like, they, they gave a little bit of money to fix it up. Mm-hmm. And just to make the problem go away, they, they, they passed a law that gave the Alamo to uh, the Daughters of the Republic of Texas to run. Mm-hmm. Not to give it to them, but they had made them legally in charge of running it and keeping it in good condition. Which they were in charge of it for more than 100 years, but they were... Uh, funny thing about a lineage organization is they're not automatically well-suited to run a historical site. Mm-hmm. Go figure. They're very good at running a gift shop, mm-hmm. and all of their decisions were calibrated to doing right by the gift shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when they were trying to get rid of the parking places on the plaza, which 
to be sure, is the middle of the original footprint of the Alamo where lots of people died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't want to give up the parking sh- uh, spots because they figured people would park there and go to the gift shop, and this might decrease their revenues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they, and and they were just they would change leadership every two years, mm-hmm. and so whatever one batch of leaders would decide would be wiped out the next year. So you could never have continuity. Uh, they had what uh, Bruce Winders, the curator of the Alamo, called sash fever. They just mm-hmm. liked to be in charge. Mm-hmm. They didn't really care about doing anything. Uh, and then that chapter you're referring to mm-hmm. it was my favorite to research. Uh, Sarah Reevely, uh, she got into the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. For, I forget why exactly. Um, but she, uh, had, uh, she studied architecture in school. Mm-hmm. So she could understand an engineering report. And she mm-hmm. realized very quickly that the Alamo was falling down on itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just leaked and she, she worked the attorney general mm-hmm. until he agreed to uh, help her uh, take it away from the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably something Greg Abbott doesn't want to talk about these days. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the state of the Alamo today? State of the Alamo today is it's going to get, uh, the good news is it's, it will ha- it has got whatever money it needs to be fixed up. Good. No one's trying to deny that there are problems anymore. Yeah. And it is under professional management. Uh, the dubious news is uh, several million dollars, probably more than north of 100, will be taken either from uh, donors or taxpayers to build a museum to promote the heroic Anglo myth of the Alamo. Mm-hmm. And not... Uh, what a lot of uh, historians and people in San Antonio want, which is the entire history of the of the right. site, because there's a, quite a history from. Yeah, it used to be the outer edges of the Spanish Empire, mm-hmm. uh, and most of the people who were buried under the plaza are uh, indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just a lot of things happened there, and yeah. I think the history since the Alamo battle, since the siege of the Alamo, is just as important to us as, as what happened over those 13 days. Right. Because there's no denying that it's a vastly important and significant historical site. Sure. But we do, we would rather have the whole story. Yeah, the whole story and the the, the, the history of the history, mm-hmm. which is what we tried yeah. to make our book about. Yeah. I think um, you go to the Sixth Floor Museum and they have exhibits on conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And that's as much of a part of our history of the Kennedy assassination as whatever happened on that day in 1963. Yeah. It's to, to say that the entirety of the history and the only thing that's important is that what happened over those 13 days is, mm-hmm. is ludicrous. Right. And so I'm kind of curious, just your opinion. Um I do, I do agree with it, it has been the white Anglo myth narrative that has sort of pushed the Alamo story, it, again, even the one that we are taught in an educational space as seventh graders in Texas. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has been pushed forth insidiously, like with, with, with an agenda and with like malicious intent, or do you think it oh, sort of has just happened and we are now sort of Realizing and waking up to, to to the reality that there's more to this story and there's a more accurate history. So there've been people for more than a hundred years trying to say, "Oh no, this isn't the way the history mm-hmm. really happened." Yeah. And because the heroic Anglo myth is so tied up into it, the the self identity of Texas, mm-hmm. it's the Texas creation myth, that by questioning the history, you're questioning who Texans are. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Dan Patrick is completely cognizant of why he's so insistent upon the myth. Mm-hmm. Like, he has a scale model of the Alamo in his office. Sure. Um, he has, at one time, approved of a more expansive 
telling of the history, but I still think he's a traditionalist no matter what. I don't, I don't think they sit down and maliciously think, oh, we're yeah. just going to push this myth mm-hmm. because it's sure. good for us. It completely is aligned with their political interests, so I think mm-hmm. that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And it's what they've always known. Mm-hmm. So they had never had any reason to question that it's true. Mm-hmm. They probably think we're coming along and trying to push it for a political agenda. Right. right. We're just trying to tell, write a good book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it is good. a good book. Well, I thanks. can't iterate that enough. Like, if the you're listening, go read, read it. <laughs> I thought I had more good. time. <laughs> um, the, the other, curious, because you, you're the one in the, in the writing of the book that played more in the political arena. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to see the arc of how, not Jeb Bush, but Jeb Bush's son? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, George P. Yeah, George, George P. P. To see his arc of, he came in wanting to tell a more rounded, accurate yeah. narrative and history of the Alamo, of, of Texas. He seemed to have had a very inclusive vision for the story and the history he wanted the Alamo to tell. Yeah. And then as soon as things got a little rocky, he pivoted to a pretty clearly yeah. traditional... Telling the party line. It's, right-wing version of it. So what was it like for you to kind of uncover that? I had I had a lot of sympathy when I for him when I went into this project because of the people who were against him. I mean, mm-hmm. when you have militia against you and you've got some real reactionaries criticizing you for being born in Florida... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they would say, don't save the Alamo, go save the manatee. You know, so like, okay, I had some sympathy, especially seeing mm-hmm. uh, the, the recording of him in 2016 mm-hmm. on, with Jose Menendez and Phil Collins talking about how reimagining the Alamo could be a platform for looking at the entire history. And, yeah. and he specifically mentioned slavery. Mm-hmm. And he knows he knows better. And then when the politics shifted, and I think a lot of it had to do with Trump getting elected and sure. what became acceptable to be a Republican shifted in Texas. Mm-hmm. And then he he changed. And mm-hmm. the people he has working for him completely believe the myth and they don't see anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I think they are un- understand the political consequences of what he used to be saying. It's, it's sad to see him not stick up for what he knows to be true. Yeah. And... And for it to be so useless. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the scene of when he accepted the nomination at the state convention in 2018. And they were, and he talked to, he was trying to blame the press for all the controversy about the, you know, the lying liberal media, mm-hmm. the lamestream media, uh, but for the controversy about the Alamo. And he started getting booed. And people started shouting, remember the Alamo. And mm-hmm. he, it's amazing how ingrained the f- familial body language is because he looked just like his his own <laughs> like, eh, yeah, ah. and like I, d- I did yeah. win right <laughs> and it's like he's trying to be Kianis Mas Macho but he yeah. just comes across so you know n- feet and just weak and yeah. and he's trying to be cool mm-hmm. and it's just not it's they're not buying it cool you can't try yeah you can't, you can't really can't achieve try it, it. Yeah. 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 either are you aren't and it was just such a deep like seeing him tr- be so effortful of trying to be pro conservative on the Alamo is a lot like him trying to kiss up to Trump and, and just be brushed aside in the primary. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I just, so I wasn't aware of that part. So when I read it, I was kind of disappointed yeah. as far as, you yeah. know, seeing, cause when it starts, since I was unaware, I thought, Oh, cool. Yep. Yep. So a, a Republican came in with a more rounded view of this and then, Oh crap. Yeah. Two years later, same story. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I you know, I, I can understand why anyone wouldn't 
trust me and my agenda on this because of my background, but I was really rooting for him when I was reading, and then it just went to hell. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, interest. Um, so working on, like you said, two years of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And you guys went through everything, and, and you saw that there is an alternative narrative that has been trying to break in for, like you said, over 100 years mm-hmm. uh, historically. And then all the things that happened because of, uh, you know, the echoes of history. Do you see a time where the story that we tell in school and the story that we tell narratively as Texans changes? Yeah, so what I think really in, like, there's politics and there's culture. Mm -hmm. The politics for a long time has been fighting to keep the history out of history. Mm -hmm. But what really cemented it for the last umpteen years since 1950, whatever, is the culture. Like, you can't... You can't fight culture with facts. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Lee Hancock and Ron Howard tried to with their 2004 movie. They were trying to make a realistic sort of Sam Peckinpah, gritty sure. Alamo movie. And uh, as Stephen Harrigan told me, the real problem with that, if telling you know, a complete story, is everyone dies at the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a character for when they win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, so I think two things are working for us. One people your age and younger like my mm-hmm. kids just they took seventh grade history didn't care mm-hmm. like it made perfect sense to them that oh yeah this is a put up job that they're telling us like there's a general distrust with the official story these mm-hmm. days I've never trusted authority so yeah well, well, I, mean, but <laughs> I, I'll say I hear that I think it's it is wild because I'm wild, only yeah. probably you know 12 years ahead of your kids so I was young enough to hear the story and be like oh yeah that yeah that must be true you yeah know, you know what I mean and I think uh, there are a lot of people like that but they're but but people are more willing to believe a different story than the original now. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and I think, so there's a, uh, there's a changing mindset in Gen Z and millennials. And I think uh, this book has had an impact on how people talk about it popularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Dan Patrick uh, got our appearance at the Bullock State History Museum mm-hmm. canceled, it became national news. In mm-hmm. fact, yeah. like, they're still writing about it in England. Oh, wow. And... Can you also tell us what happened there? Yeah, so we had, we, at the end of our first two weeks after the release, really, what, that was when it was going to end. We got a good review in the New York Times, Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal, Washington Post. Yeah. And, and I work in publishing, by the way. So again, congratulations. Thank you. That, that it is really hard to... To even to, just get this. To get no. this. Except, right. Well, to be published by Penguin Random House right. itself. Like, so, it was a huge success yeah. already, like, just in books. The fact that the book came out is a right. massive it's success. Amazing. Huge. With the same title. With yeah, the same, with the same title. title. <laughs> right, and the same authors. Exactly. And, we, you know, Brian got on Fresh Air on NPR, mm-hmm. and those like, that was going to be it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our, the last thing we were going to do, we had politics and prose appearance in D.C. and book yeah. people, but the last thing was going to be this big uh, online event uh, co-hosted by the Writers League of Texas with yeah. the Bullock State History Museum. And, like, 300 people signed up on the Zoom, and I had to work that night. But it was like, oh, it's going to be a big deal. We're going to have 300 people. And uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation Mm -hmm. started tweeting at the politicians with oversight over the Bullock Museum. Mm -hmm. And that's the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker, and two legislators. Saying, you can't let this taxpayer dollars be misused by hosting this this event, because that would be endorsing their views. Mm -hmm. That's not really the way... uh, That's not the way things work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but God bless him. And three and a half hours before the event, a uh, publisher calls us and says, yeah, guys, they bullet canceled. They say they're getting too much social media pressure. Mm. And so for a day, we're like, well, we should file open records request. We should. And then the next day, Dan Patrick just tweeted, oh, yeah, I did it. 
That was me. Wow. I canceled it. Tweeted that he did. Tweeted it. Blew up. It became national news. And we started, that was January, I mean, July 2nd was when the, yeah. the event was supposed to take place. And we were ranked in the 500s on Amazon. Yeah. By that Sunday, we were ranked 12. Yeah. Congratulations. So, yeah. We, we sold out Amazon twice that week. Because they, they never anticipated we would be that popular. Yeah. Well, there you go. Was, was there a part... in disguise, I guess. Yeah. So I honestly didn't know it's that story. No, was... no complaints on anything. <laughs> One, was there a part of you as more, you know... Accurate say left leaning Democrat correct. Was there a party that was like, wait, we're supposed to be the ones that do stuff on Twitter, not them? <laughs> <laughs> How yeah. ironic that the free speech plat- plat- platform yeah. party got you canceled. Got you canceled. Yeah, uh, there was all the yeah. You know, the first reaction by a lot of people was irony that the day before he put out a fundraising appeal attacking free speech censorship yeah. on college mm-hmm. campuses. My first instinct was just like, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Banned well, books, yeah. I'll remember. And that was my right. other yeah. question was, was there also part of y'all that like, the thing he wanted to achieve oh, no. backfires I, because yeah. now you're 12 on Amazon. Yeah, I, my first thought was pragmatic that right. this, is something, this, to, this, this is, is something to capitalize on. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Chris went on, Chris went on did a Twitter thread that blew up and, and trended. So it was, nice. yeah. And then this all blew up and all this publicity. And then on Sunday, I went, holy crap, we got censored. Like, <laughs> right? Government like, just shut us down. So, yeah. whoa, whoa. Wait. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, that a, sucks. A right <laughs> leaning government mm-hmm. just censored us. Well, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I don't want to both sides this, but, you know, no one's, sure. no one's, like, the, we're wrestling through censorship and canceling yeah. and all this yeah. as a culture and what that really means. Yeah. But this was government <clears throat> shutting. Private, it was like pr- literal government censorship uh, mm-hmm. in the public sphere, saying yeah. you are not acceptable here because of the because of the quality of your views. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's like it was just straight up. Yeah. I just it's so funny to me. I don't think it seems like politicians just forget what hypocrisy is when they oh, yeah. do their. Own. It's funny. It's hypocrisy funny. doesn't count anymore. No, it does not count. <laughs> no. Um, so really, as I read the book. The beginning part, and so if you don't have as much background on this, since that was Brian's part, we'll, we'll, we'll throw give it a shot. Under the yeah, bus. It's fine. Um, and this could just be a perception that's from my own, you know, just believing the Alamo, the Alamo story as uh-huh. as it was, and then reading this new story. There, there's a great job done of peeling back the curtain of like, you know, who William B. Travis was, who Stephen F. Austin was, who Sam Houston was, who Crockett was, you know the. Not even dirty laundry, just the reality of who these people were mm-hmm. beneath the heroic tale. But then, as there's talk about like Santa Anna, who I, who I was told was the villain, Evil. yeah. Um, you know, there's parts where it kind of glances over. Like there, I remember one part is talking about the Alamo battle, and it talks about how you know the Mexican soldiers kill boys as young as twelve. But there's like it kind of. The book sort of just is like, yeah, that happened, and then we go back to like how Will and Travis was an adulterer or whatever. Like there, there seemed to be parts where we left off any wrongdoing or dirty laundry realities of who Santa Ana was, and even like how the Mexican government was really turbulent at the time. It kept switching leaders and switching structure, and Texas is just sort of up here operating on its own. But it just seemed like. I have a perception that y'all left all that sort of to the side because we just want to highlight, you know, the Texas side of this. I th- so do, I th- do you understand what I'm saying? I do. You're having yeah. a reaction similar to the reaction I had to Stonewall, uh, okay. Sam Gwynn's book about Stonewall Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he, um, there are things about Stonewall Jackson he admired. I mean, the guy's 
was an autistic madman, like mm-hmm. and, which was his superpower as a as a general. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he would just drive his soldiers in a way that no mm-hmm. nobody humane leader. Well, in yeah. a way that no no one who cared for who had any empathy for his troops would ever do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, he also had a crazy parrot. True. Also, also, also true. <laughs> also, um, but it was because of his uh, ability to just drive himself and his people like that that he was so good. But mm-hmm. he d- he wasn't judgmental in describing what the South did. Right? right. He didn't take sides in the book, mm-hmm. and he didn't condemn them in a mm-hmm. way that I would have expected you to condemn yeah. the South, mm-hmm. the sure. slaveholding South. And I think I hear in your thing, well, mm-hmm. we didn't condemn him for doing this. Like, yeah. We just described him doing these mm-hmm. things. Sure. Um, we, like, I, I don't think it's, it's not really necessary to condemn the killing of a 12-year-old boy in battle. Like, it's just, that's just bad, right? Mm-hmm. We just recognize at, that that's bad. At, mm-hmm. the, at the other time, like... On average, the Texans, Tex, the white Texans were much bigger than the Mexican soldiers. Some mm-hmm. of them were, you know, just, uh, and it was night. How do we know what they what they saw, what they perceived? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, it was a chaotic battle. Most of the Mexican uh, deaths were from friendly fire because they were just so bad. Just firing it was dark. Cha- it, was yeah, chaos. it was chaos. Right. Yeah, and the Mexicans won because of superior numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, um I mean, I think the fact that the siege ends with burning all their bodies and executing Davy Crockett, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like we're saying, oh, but they're good guys. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that frequent changeover in government, like, people use that to sort of absolve the Texans for their mm-hmm. motivations. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, in the end, they just didn't really want to have to pay tariffs and taxes, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to... The story of most types of, like, around this time frame, independence wars yeah 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 we're tired we, of paying your taxes we just don't want to yeah. yeah we just don't want to yeah. yeah even though that was the condition of citizenship yeah right. <laughs> like you live here you pay the taxes it's yeah and they chose to do it they just weren't born there yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. um yeah i i hear your reaction mm-hmm. yeah um we weren't trying to we certainly weren't trying to make mexico the good guys yeah and i want you to know i i'm voicing the question as this is a reaction i don't no, think I, what i'm feeling is I, like accurate that's why we were we were very conscious we weren't we were very conscious of not wanting to let the Texians off the hook. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because they really were. It was a land grab. They did yeah. choose to go to Mexico, mm-hmm. and they adopted, and at some point they were coming illegally. Um, but the ones who came legally did it under certain conditions that they didn't want to abide by. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they thought they were better. Change yeah. their mind, yeah. Yeah, and like, screw you, we're going to do what we want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh so we didn't want to take it easy on them but we still wanted to write it in a way where a reader like you could mm-hmm. be engaged and not feel judged or condemned yeah sure and that was really important to us yeah to invite the reader in definitely and you succeeded and so i love that just everything you said i love and how did y'all know that you had sort of achieved that tone because it, it it's hard it's it a tough was, needle to thread that part of the book for me was harder to read you know as a straight white dude like yeah, that is the part that's harder to read, and there's some per, uh, like perplex perplexedness, I guess. Like I feel perplexed at parts. I feel we had a we, what do you call them? And there's a there's a thing in vogue now. You're in publishing, a sensitivity mm-hmm. reader. Yes. So we had a, um, uh, a Latino activist read it because we 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 
we needed to write it also with that because we're not Latinos. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We needed to be aware of what we weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what could be described as jingoism didn't pass that test. Yeah. Sure. And so we just that and we also ran it by a lot of trusted readers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Sam read it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Harrigan read it ahead of time and just to, because they're not they're, they're accomplished writers who've done a lot of historical nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not, you know, radical leftists by any means. Yeah. They come from more of a traditional mindset. Sure. And um, so we're just trying to write a book that appealed to all of them. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a lot of uh, pre-reads yeah. That, yeah. that got us there. Mm-hmm. What, now I'm just curious, thank you for answering that question, by yeah. the way. I know that's a different kind of question. Um, what was one thing that maybe got taken out or that was left out that you wish could have stayed in or, or just a part of the story that's not in the book? That's a good question. Um, the if we had to do it all over again, the uh, indigenous people would have a much bigger role yeah. because mm-hmm. they have been under that ground for a long time, mm-hmm. sure. and the fact that now they're trying to get recognition, mm-hmm. um, but because they've fallen through a loophole of federal uh, tribe recognition law, they're not getting recognized. Um, for example, uh, there are six missions in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I I, I would have to say however many number there are. <laughs> yeah, the only mission in which the area in front of it is not a designated cemetery is the Alamo mm-hmm. because of political reasons. Even though there's mm-hmm. proof that there are... Absolutely proof. Right, ...are yeah. remains underneath that, right? Yeah, and the reason they're there in the first place is because Europeans came there and basically enslaved them and made them work mm-hmm. and converted them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, like, they're, they are the real victims of this story the whole time. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, I don't think we gave them enough due. Yeah. Um, but that said... We turned in a book that Always was... for a follow-up. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the Alamos had enough of me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, this, the first draft that we turned in was about a third longer, so okay. we had to cut out 40,000 words. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a chunk. It was That's a chunk. A yeah. But it really made the book sale, so it's, it's, yeah. a, it's yeah. a quick read now. One, and it still, it still tells... It achieves what y'all set out to achieve. Yeah. I, and I'm saying that as someone who it was achieved with, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, now I'm curious because of the way you said that. Like at this point, you're kind of like, all right, I'm done with the Alamo. Can can I move on? I really getting back to the other question. I just realized how much work I did researching the 2004 movie. Because yeah. I think the failure of it is really it's interesting. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll like, say it, I kind of like the movie. I, from what I remember, I haven't seen it in a while. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a well done movie. It's yeah. really dark and depressing, mm-hmm. and it's probably kind of like it does was it, being there. Does a decent enough job of painting the people a little more accurately, at least yeah. by Hollywood standards. And it's interesting. I love that it didn't it didn't succeed because of nine eleven. Right mm-hmm. after nine eleven. We wanted revenge movies like Three Hundred and like that was Pearl Harbor, yeah. right? And Three Hundred and Pearl Harbor are, are Alamo-like events. They've mm-hmm. been used the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Thermopylae and Pearl Harbor. Like remember Pearl Harbor, remember the Alamo. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. straight-up comparison. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they literally uh, come and take it, right? It's exactly. the exact same phrase. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's that is. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't really interesting to read. So. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's. I think there's a there was a lot of fun discussion about that and about how much care they took to try to make this the only accurate Alamo movie and yeah. how being accurate bombed. Mm-hmm. But it was just slutty so pants. Yeah, it's. I guess that's the difference between like history and narrative, right? Is it makes perfect sense why um, Houston would take the Alamo and spin this. I mean, let's call it propaganda, right? Yeah. To create a rallying war cry. 
right. to help win the war. That makes perfect sense. And then that becomes this this martyr-type narrative, and this it overtakes and becomes something bigger and creates larger-than-life characters. So at what point do we allow the coexistence of a truthful histor- a truthful history and a narrative version of figures that inspire us? So I don't I don't think they should ever not coexist. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you, we should be able to find inspiration in the in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they should be the same. Like there should not be two separate things. They should be able to be the same thing. Yeah, yeah there's no reason we can't tell heroic myths about the truth that you that are based on the truth. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't like we keep telling the story about these valiant men who knowingly sacrifice their lives to buy time so that their their others so their brethren others sure yeah I mean we're telling a Christ myth, a myth right yeah most stories are yeah what we could be telling on this is it was a horrible tragedy and accident they never should have been there in the first place mm-hmm. but that's when Sam Houston's army that's when everyone in Texas figured out what the stakes were mm-hmm. and that's why that's what their their deaths told them just how hard they had to fight. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's in the book. There's nothing wrong with telling that story. Yeah. Yeah. But telling the story, well, they bought them time. Sam, Santa Anna's army was still catching up at the end of the siege. Right. Like, they stayed for a couple of days and then took off. Mm-hmm. It's it's why we insist upon this myth that just is so easily pulled apart. Right. And then you have to fight so hard against fact and call it revisionism. Right. Mm-hmm. Has that been... Has that been exhausting at all the past couple of months to sort of wade in those waters as far as, you know, when you, when you confront the... I see that smile. There's no, something you, know, some you that enjoys it. So, two things about it. One, there's so many traditionalists who expect us to debate them, mm. right? There's that meme, just debate me. Why won't you debate me? Well, because we're right, well, dumbass. It's, it's not a debate. Book. It's, read yeah, the book. It's yeah. not a... <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to debate you, read the book. Like, I yeah, wrote the kind I, of book that I wrote a book. has to be like, fact-checks yeah. in a book. Like, we had several people, several different people fact-checked it. All the historically there's, there's accurate. There's an index this thick with references. <laughs> the worst good review we got was uh, Bill Brands, the UT professor. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is almost like beating a dead horse. This stuff has been forever. I read forever. that one. like... Yeah, that's part of the and but he says, but politicians have been keeping it out. Like that's the book. That's the yeah, point. That's, that's the point saying. of our book. Is yeah. like yeah. Wait, way to miss the point. Maybe good to review, you brand. in academia, like maybe you've heard yeah. all these things, but There's you have so not gotten people. it to the people. Why is that, yeah. sir? Yeah, yeah exactly. students that sit in front of you. all You the can't time. just blame politicians. I would, I would point you to yeah. the second half of the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first half meets second half. Yeah, yeah it's, so, you can't blame everything on politicians. Yeah, so there's so many there's people like Jerry Patterson and other other people who just we want to debate you. Like no. Why? Yeah, it's not like we're gonna sit down and like have a debate, and someone's gonna say, "Well, you win." Right, that's not the way history works. Yeah, it's made to be argued over. Howdy, 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 everybody! Thank you for listening this far with our interview with Jason Stanford. We are almost done with it, but before we wrap up this episode and specifically this interview, we wanted to interrupt, interject for a second, and say before before you finish the interview. Would you do us a favor and go ahead and click that share button, share this episode on your Instagram story, tag us at at textish underscore pod, and if you don't mind, even text it over to a few friends. Say, hey, this book came out a few months ago here in Texas. It's really interesting. These guys interview the author. It's a really fascinating interview. So, yes. We'd love to know your thoughts. Press pause right now before you finish the interview with Jason and share it on Instagram. Tag us at textish underscore pod. Thanks, guys.
uh, you figure up to 10 hours a week mm-hmm. is, is doing the Alamo stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, and I've got a regular full-time mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And that's a part-time job, yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a part-time mm-hmm. job just to do, and I'm sure, I'm like, huh. I'm not complaining, but I'm saying, like, there's just no space for other thoughts right, about yeah. you know, like, like, the next book or anything like this that. This is occupying well, everything. You are welcome for the tens of listeners that we brought. Yeah. <laughs> no. So... I'm one. I'm enjoying the hell out of this, just I'm because so of this room. Oh, this is cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> Any, yeah, yeah. Anyone listening to this, if you ever get a chance to do this podcast, you got to do it because of this room. Thanks. It's really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and anybody who's just listening, our our guest is so handsome and put together. Oh, he looked. He, he he said earlier he wanted to be a spy and easily could have been. He could be a spy. He's like an American actually... James Bond. This is the best podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the second thing is Ryan Holiday um, once gave some advice about uh, to authors. Hey, hey. And uh, he said, "Don't do radio, do podcasts, mm, mm-hmm. because the podcast is there on the internet. When people want, like five years later, when someone's yeah. interested in your mm-hmm. book, they can find mm-hmm. the podcast. Well, even as a host, I love." On the other side of that, you know, in two years when someone's like, oh, I'm reading this book, remember the Alamo, or forget the Alamo, sorry. Right. I can say, actually, yep. we have we the had... privilege of having Jason on, mm-hmm. go listen to it. Or yeah. at work next week, I right. get to go tell a bunch of people who haven't read the book yet, but say they want to, and say, well, start here. Right. Um, but, yeah, I really only have one more question. I know that you're pressed for time, so we definitely want to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't get you out of here. It flies um, by. <laughs> really and this one might seem out of the blue, but I'm asking it as someone who grew up in West Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. White, well, majority Hispanic town, but, you know, a, mm-hmm. a white conservative upbringing. And I still, I live in the middle and probably straddle most of the time, you know, can go one way or the other. What was your route into being more, you know, you said you're involved in activist culture and and being a person who's trying to be a voice for like the indigenous community and for the Hispanic community writing a book like this just what what are the convictions you have that have led you to to be on this side of the aisle so to speak what really motivated me on this is um I've always hated bullies Mm -hmm. and my first motivation on this book was the way that politicians enforce their beliefs on what is taught in school Mm -hmm. it just makes me mad and so that was the first that was my first hook into the book and then um, after this, I'm going to go to Zilker Park where we're doing our first uh, in-person event in Austin. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And the moderator is Dr. Andres Tiarina. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he's in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, he is the godfather of Mexican-American history. Mm-hmm. He went to University of Texas in the after the Vietnam War. And he said, I want to study Mexican-American history. And he was told there was no such thing. Mm-hmm. Not just as an academic discipline, just but the- that Mexican-Americans didn't have a history. Mm-hmm. And when he was in West Texas, so we were interviewing him as a historian, mm-hmm. Brian and I were, and he told us about growing up in Texas and mm-hmm. about how he's a son in West Texas, mm-hmm. the son of migrant workers, and he was told to stand up in class. And his teacher said, it's the Mexicans that killed Davy Crockett. It could have been Andy's grandparents. Mm-hmm. And we're like, holy shit, does that happen? Dude. And we started asking people. And everyone has a story like that after, like, boomer Hispanics. Right, boomer age, yeah. Yeah, and do you remember that Castro, Castro's mom, mm-hmm. and how she got in trouble in 2010 by saying, we all know they're a bunch of, and then, like, holy hell rained down, just, mm-hmm. and the Castro brother just shut up about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they all know. Mm-hmm. So we've got a majority population. You're talking about West Texas mm-hmm. and say, oh, it's a majority population, but a conservative place. Mm-hmm. It's a conservative place because the majority population doesn't engage because mm-hmm. they don't talk 
Mm -hmm. Like, this used to be their state. And then we took it from them. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel comfortable engaging in the political discussions about this state. And that's that's a pretty horrifying thought. Mm -hmm. That's like seeing your state in a whole new way. That, oh, that's what's been going on that Mm -hmm. I haven't been aware of this whole time? That's... It's that kind of... The fact that the, the power, that political power could mm-hmm. silence those millions of people for so long and tell them, oh, no, what you think, what you know to be true, mm-hmm. can't say in public. Mm-hmm. That just, that cheeses me off. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that they got their say. Awesome. Not, that, not that I could do anything other than just write down what they say and put it in the book. Yeah. But, but they deserve to have their say. But exactly. that's not nothing. That's no, not it's nothing. Not. And that, well, and even to your point of, you know, people being bullied in the educational space, mm-hmm. you work in education now. You are... Yeah. The yeah. things you were passionate about, you, you were stepping your, your talk, yep. into which the so arena. few do. Yeah, and so we and already admire you, but well, we also you. deep respect for the fact that that's how you're going about it. Um, yeah, and I didn't know the book would be coming out as we we're as the legislature was going to pass the 1836 project <sighs> to enforce a quote patriotic version of Texas history, mm-hmm. and doing it by printing up a uh, a pamphlet and giving it out at the DMV when you get your driver's license, which, as we know, is how everyone learns their history in Texas. Yeah. yeah. It's the right spot. The, yeah. What else? <laughs> I mean, on my mind is I got a parallel park. Right. And, and uh, uh, remember William, the Elmo. Was it William Bowie Travis? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Jason, we know we're to let yeah. you go. We have so one, one last question. question. Yep. And we ask this to all of our guests. Okay. Um, and we always love hearing, you know, the perspective of somebody who has maybe a more broad understanding or maybe even outside perspective of this what does it mean to you mm. to be a Texan um, boy that idea has changed um, <laughs> it has always meant sticking up for what's right mm-hmm. but sticking up for what's right feels a lot different these days mm-hmm. feels like you have to stick up for what is right for someone else not that it's not true for you too but they don't, there are a lot of people out here who don't get the chance to stick up for what's right. Mm-hmm. They don't get to vote. You know, there's a lot, a lot of rights being taken away from a lot of people. So mm-hmm. sticking up against the people who are getting bullied and don't get to, get to have their say. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is what it is these days. Good answer. That's Thanks. an amazing answer. Well, Jason. Well, we are honored to have you here. Um, and obviously, I, I just want to point out, obviously, this book was written by people who love Texas, mm. truly. And oh, yeah. This is not something that, you know, as, as our listeners leave us, I do want it known, and, like, I feel the love for the state in the book, and it's one of those things where because you love something, you have to be able to criticize and set right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got I've got generations of ancestors born in this state, and I've made two Texans. <laughs> uh, I love Texans. I love Texas primarily because of its absurdity. <laughs> I mean, if this were a normal a state, it wouldn't state. be nearly yeah. as fun. Well, it's funny you point that out. We started this podcast specifically because we were like... It's absurd. Texas is absurd. There's a oh, town yeah. called Cut and Shoot. Like, what? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, for this episode, don't forget, Hoop and Holler, Texas. Hoop and Holler. Or well, what about Metro Dimebox? Not just Dimebox, but Old Dimebox. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right outside of College yep. Station. Right outside. Yeah. Uh, we need to have you back on. Oh, just dude, just yeah, as that. a guest commentator. We got to let you go. We know yeah. you got events to go to. Thank you for taking the time to sit with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Awesome. All right. Bye, y'all. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back. We're back. One more time. I've said it, not said it enough, but I'll say it one more time. Jason, thank you so much for your time. You were a treasure. For your kindness. 
my favorite part of the interview was the very end when he answered he answers that question asked with I hate bullies. I love that. And that that gave us a window into who he is. The the motivator and the drive of who he is. And so much clicked in that moment. And I will support what he does and because I swear of that. <laughs> he is he is the American James Bond. And he is a CIA agent. He is a CIA agent. He to has be to be. Clear, I don't, yeah. He's working clear. for the government. He's working for the government in some capacity. He's spying on somebody who I don't know. Governor Abbott. But yeah, governor, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, he's easy to keep track of. Man, dude, this is a running joke. That's <laughs> just. <laughs> is it a running joke? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, so I've, uh, as you know, I've, I've been sick the last kind of like week. And a half. Uh, and a half. I'm feeling a lot better now. Legitimately sick. Legitimately sick. Um, there's like cold sick and then there's virus sick. Well, so I went to the doctor. Yeah. And it was funny, man. I, I didn't expect this, but. You I saw him? I saw him. Wait, I thought he was cancer free. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> I just so I just pop over to the you uh, to the urgent care because okay. it's faster and easier to get what I need there. I, I'm not like seriously ill. I just know that I need some type of medication that I can't get over the counter. You need pills. I need pills. Um, I'm a pillhead. Let's face it. And you're actually not. Just I'm at, just so everybody to knows. be very clear. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm hanging out in the waiting room and honestly like I, so we've they've come in and they've taken my my blood pressure and like all those things just kind of the basic stuff. I'm like all right, doctor will be in in a little bit. And I'm like all right, cool. And at the time, like I had a fever mm-hmm. and I was tired and just, I was laid out. So I just kind of laid down and I was hoping I could like go to sleep and take a nap before the doctor mm-hmm. came in. You never know how long you're going to be waiting for these things. Truly. They were doing a strep test and all that. So 20 minutes roughly. And I'm like, all right, I'll get some shut eye. And I'm just like h- hanging out with my eyes closed, laying back. And I hear the door open and I'm like, all right, cool. Doctor's in. I'm not going to open my eyes quite yet because I'm kind of in that in-between sleep and awake space, you know, drifting. Mm -hmm. And I just hear this click, 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 click. Like a familiar bicycle click? Like a familiar bicycle click. What was happening? And I, I'm not going to lie, I freaked out a little bit because I'm vulnerable, right? I mean, they didn't put me in, in a dressing gown, but I brought my own. Yeah. So I'm just hanging out naked like, yeah, like you do. Just butt out. Just butt out. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little scared. Yeah. Uh, because I don't, I don't know what, the, I don't know what's happening. And it's Halloween. You don't know what kind of shenanigans. I don't know what kind of shenanigans I'm are assuming going on. you know who it is. I know who it is already. Click. I can feel the breeze blow in <laughs> and I can smell the Axe body spray. And I just, I know already exactly who it is. So I'm almost afraid to open my eyes and I just hear the click, 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 and it stops and I hear the, the brake go on and I'm just, I just know he's balancing there. So I, I look over and I, I, I just kind of, just kind of peek my eyes open and I just see this blinding yellow lab coat and that little bald head sitting up there. And he looks at me, he's got a toothpick in, in his, you know, jaunty little toothpick angle in his mouth. <laughs> And he's just like, you know, I could give you a prostate exam right now if I wanted to, but I won't because I like what you boys do. Keep on keeping on. And he pedals backwards. Click, 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 click. Please. Door closes. Did he say what I think he said before he absolutely left? 
Tour de Lance forever. I hear in the distance as he's clicking away. Tour de Lance. And so I just yell back, forever Forever and always. He's so much nicer to you. He's so much nicer to me. I don't know what it is. (laughs) I don't know Um, what it is about me, but he would have done something nasty to me. He would have done something really nasty to you, like spiked your your antibiotic shot or something like that. Give me an enema or something like that. I feel like he knows that he's got my number, so he doesn't have to threaten me. I was just like, I was so scared in that moment, you know, butt out. Mm -hmm. He was like, you know what I could do if I wanted to. He feeds on vulnerability. He does, and I'm very vulnerable. But he's also not going to sue us if he ever hears this. Oh, totally not. He's, he's, if Lance Armstrong is anything, if we've heard, if we know anything about Lance, is that he's super reasonable. Very reasonable. Not litigious. No. Absolutely not. And super calm-headed. Super calm. Super cool. Super collected. Super unibulb. Lance, if you're listening, you single bald, beautiful mother, we love you. And we salute you. Forever and always. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening this far. We truly do appreciate it. As much as we appreciate our guests, we might appreciate you just a little bit more. Just even a little Because bit more. you are tuning in. All of you who have texted us over the past couple of months, thank you. Thank you so much. If you could do us a favor, share this episode with people who haven't listened yet. If you haven't listened, if you haven't left a review... Or hit that follow on Spotify. Let us know what you think. Hit the download on Apple. Go do all those things. We have a lot of plans in store, some very legitimate and set in stone, Mm -hmm. a few more theoretical, but we are heading that direction. And we want to keep growing this, and we do need your help. Absolutely. It feels cheesy. It feels weird to have a thing that we love doing purely because we love it. But, but we, we also, also love, you guys. love you guys. And you know what? I'll say it right now. First five people to leave a review will get a free Texas t-shirt. Which will be ready within the next three weeks. Yeah. All right. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. The first five people. I don't know where else you hear it. To leave a written review, mm-hmm. screenshot it, and share it on Instagram and tag Texas Seth. Gunner underscore Rogers and, and Tex-ish underscore pod. Yes. We'll get a free Tex-ish t-shirt. Designs to be released in the near future. Mm-hmm. Actual t-shirts. Short run. Limited run. These are going to be limited editions. Super valuable. Very obviously. valuable. Collectors Will items. Will be available for purchase in the near future. We're going to say 2022. We will have the Texas store up and running. But for right now, just a limited edition. We're aiming at either... 50 to 25 actual t-shirts first five get them free everyone else got to pay for it sorry screenshot tag text ish underscore seth gunner underscore rogers text ish underscore pod you get a free t-shirt not you get one you get one you get one but five of you five of you you get a free (laughs) t-shirt and as always again we appreciate y'all thank you for listening share like review follow download Bye, y'all.